The following audio is from Sacred City Church. For more information, please visit sacredcitychurch.com. Hear the word of the Lord from the book of Genesis. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abraham and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren, and she had no child. Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai his daughter-in-law. And they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was seventy-five years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered, and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At the time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated this morning. Good morning. Uh, My name is Justin. I'm uh, a pastor here at Sacred City Church. It's my um, joy to welcome you here to worship with us this morning. This is Sacred City Church Gathered. Um, We spend six days a week scattered in missional communities throughout the city, um, living as missionaries sent to bless and to partner with our Father and bringing renewal uh, to all the earth. So it's our joy this morning. It is a little warm in here, so I think they've got a couple windows cracked. Um, It's going to be warm for me at least. Um, This is our 12th sermon in the book of Genesis. We don't do anything fancy around here. Um, One of my joys is I could literally not preach right now. I could walk off the stage and go home. And personally, I've already been blessed because I was reminded through the liturgy this morning that I'm not down here trying to get God's attention and he's up busy ruling a universe or something that I'm reminded in the liturgy that God is actually present already and he's calling us into worship him. That he's calling us to worship him. When they read the call to worship, that's God saying, I'm here, I'm already present, you don't have to get my attention, I need to get your attention. And he did get my attention this morning and I thank God for it. 
And then we worship Him and we sing and we respond to Him in worship. And then we're reminded that we are broken and that we're sinners and that we constantly leave His covenant. And unless somebody had a perfect week this week, uh, anybody out there, but I know I didn't. So I'm reminded that I confess openly and honestly and that God gives me absolution. God reminds me that my sins have been paid for once and for all in Christ. Amen. Right? And then we, can, we profess our faith together, reminding us some of the, the, the key tenets of our faith that because of what Christ has done for us, because of what God has done for us, this is who we are now. I mean, I, we literally, this is why we do liturgy. I, we could walk out and be done. Now, for those of you who just showed up, I'm, I'm sorry, but you missed half the movie, okay? But I'm just, I, I'm thankful. This is our liturgy. If you know anything about liturgy, we believe it forms us. It shapes us into a certain type of people. It, tapes, it shapes us into a people who are ready to receive from God as sinners who are broken, who cannot offer him anything but our sins. It shapes us into humble people who openly confess. It shapes us into people who are honest about our fails, failures and our faults, and we don't act like because we came to Christ once that we've got everything figured out now. Liturgy shapes us. It slows us down. If you have a, I have a speedy soul. You do too if you live in this world. Okay? My soul is always busy. My soul is always, soul is always hurried. I'm talking to my wife. I'm on Facebook. I'm yelling at the kids all at the same time. Right? My soul is, liturgy calms us. Liturgy slows us. Liturgy reminds us for the fifth, first 1,500 years of the church's existence, this is how they practiced. This is how they did church in the corporate gathering. Reminds us we're tied to something more than today, more than the now, more than the ethos of our culture that says the new and the, and the, the, the sexy and, the, and the, the fresh is all that's real. Liturgy reminds us that there's something deep, there's something old, there's something ancient about our faith. And I'm just thankful that we're rooted to that. So that was all for free. Uh, this today, we're about to hit, we're, 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 in, um, we're finishing up Genesis chapter 11, we're jumping into Genesis chapter 12, and we're going to just walk through this together. And we're going to be introduced, right now it's a big, it's a big day, all right? It's a big day because we're going to be introduced to this guy named Abram. Now, many of you, if you grew up in church, you know, right? Right? You know, Father Abraham had many sons, had many, yeah, you know this, what's going on. Now, we're going to talk about Abram, okay? He's going to get his name changed to Abraham later. I love it because Abram, literally, Abram means daddy, it means daddy, father. And Abraham means father of nations. Or we got Abram, daddy, and we got Abraham, big daddy. All right? So his name's going to get changed down the road, and you're going to see why in a little bit. But first, I'm going to kind of back up just a little bit and let you know that Abraham, um, other than Jesus Christ, Abraham is, has been the most influential man to ever walk the planet. Abram. I'm going I'm to go back and forth, I'm sure. The three dominant religions in our world all trace their roots back to Abram. Jews, Christians, and Muslims all see Abram as a key figure in their history. That's about 3.8 billion people on the planet right now, or about 55% of all the world's population, are influenced in, by what, in what they believe by Abram. That's a lot of people. 3.8 billion Right? Unless you're in government, then billions don't really mean anything. Uh, they're never no big deal. Just... Abram was and still is a very influential man. 
And that is really interesting, giving his origin. See, the guy didn't have a great start. What we're going to see today is that God likes to choose people by his own sheer grace and prerogative. That God likes to take misfits and turn them into missionaries for him. God gets glory out of this. God gets joy out of choosing unlikely characters to partner with him in his mission. So let's just get to work here. We're going to get to work and let's dig in. Go to 11 chapter 10. Now I'm sparing you. This is the first time we've ever skipped uh, any text in Genesis. And I'm going to skip... um, Let me see, I'm at 11, we're going to start at 11.10. I'm going to kind of skip 11.10 through 11.26, all right? All it is, it's the last long genealogy in Genesis. So somebody say amen, right? It's the last long genealogy. And the whole purpose of all the genealogy has been to trace from Adam through the line of Seth, through Noah, and now this last chunk is to get us from Noah and Noah's son to Abram. That's the whole point. Now, if you remember anything about the story of Noah, not a good story, not a great story. Actually, we know about his ark, but do you know about his buck naked episode, right? Because that's the story that we need to talk about right now. Noah, naked in his tent. One brother comes, sees him, exposes that nakedness, goes and laughs. But then one brother or the other two brothers come and cover him. And then when Moses steps out the next day from his drunken stupor, right? He blesses one son, or he blesses actually the the grandson, and he curses another son. He blesses, right, Shem. And Shem is what this, this whole line right here, from 10 to 26, this is all tracing the lineages of Shem. So when he blesses Shem or blesses Canaan, what does that do? Now listen, interesting. From this line of Shem comes a man named Abram. So those 17 verses are all to introduce you to this guy named Abram. All right. So this, let's just, let's, we're going to be in verse 27 now. So I'm going to get you there to, to, that that gets you to verse 27. We're going to jump in there in, in one second here. Now listen, the entire focus of this book is about to change. The first 11 chapters, we have witnessed the absolute downward spiral of humanity into sin. They have consistently and constantly rebelled from God. And if you remember from earlier chapters, God said the only hope for humanity would come through the line of Seth. If you remember this, right? God cursed Cain for killing his brother Abel. And then God promised a deliverer would come through the line of Seth. The Proto-Evangelion in Genesis 3 says that God will bring a deliverer through your line. So the line of Seth is the sacred lineage, let's say. The line of Seth is a covenant line where God promises to bring his blessing of redemption through this covenant line. So all hope, listen, all hope rests in the line of Seth. God made a covenant with Adam and Eve to fix things through the descendants of Seth. God kept that covenant, you remember this, when he spared Noah and his family in the flood because Noah was a descendant of Seth. And now we see the remnants, listen, the remnants of that family is right here. 
And you're about to find out things are not looking good. Things are not going well. If you've heard me say that a hundred times, that's because that's the story of Genesis. Man on their own, things do not go well. Let's look at verse 27. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran, and Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father, Terah, in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. So Noah's brother Haran died early, left his son Lot, and Abraham began to take over for Lot. So verse 29, Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, which means princess. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarah was barren, she had no child. Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, the son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years, and Terah died in Haran. Okay, this is what I want you to see right away. Number one, Abram's dad was Terah, and they lived in Ur. Okay, Abram's dad was Terah and they lived in Ur. Now Ur is southern Babylonian or southern Babylon. It is modern day Iraq. All right. It was a a Mecca for the worship of false gods. It was a Mecca for the worship of the moon. Interesting enough, Terah's name actually means moon. So this is the line of Seth. Man, (laughs) this is just so depressing. The one family that is supposed to bring renewal and redemption to this sin-stricken planet is now worshiping the moon. Creation has been supplanted or the creator has been supplanted by creation. See what I mean by Abram didn't have a great start? He's got a demon-worshipping father and he's living in a demon-worshipping city in Babylon. This is looking real promising. All right? God says, I'm going to bless the world through this one line of Seth. I'm going to fix everything in this one line of Seth. And now the line of Seth is in Babylon worshipping the moon. But the bad news doesn't really stop there. Abram and his brother Nahor got married. Now that's actually some good news. But what the bad news is... Abram's wife, Sarai, is what? Barren. She's barren. Now, if you're familiar with with the patriarchal society back in this time, that everything, the blessing was meant to go through your kids, right? Even the blessing of God was go, be fruitful, and multiply. Fill the earth. So um, they worshiped fertility gods because they thought that women who had babies, I mean, that was the key. That was how to extend your lineage. That was the mo- one of the most important things in life was to have sons that could pass on your name. So when, when the Bible just drops it in here, oh yeah, Sarai, she's barren. Bruce Watke in his commentary on Genesis says that barrenness is an effective metaphor for hopelessness. There's no human power to invent a future. This reminds me of Lord of the Rings. 
I know, I do it all the time, but I can't help it. And the forces of darkness, listen, Lord of the Rings, if you're familiar with it, the forces of darkness are spreading across the earth, right? And the only hope rests in the line of men, or more specifically, in an heir of Isildur. And the enemy, Sauron, if he can crush Isildur's heir, then he can take over the whole earth. He can rule all the kingdoms of men. All hope rests in the air of a sealder. So here, all hope rests in the line of Seth. Now listen, this, if you're like, all right, this, that's what this section of scripture is supposed to do. This section of scripture is meant to just to press the air out of our lungs. It's meant to show us how pervasive and hopeless man is when we are left on our own. See, the line of Seth has failed. The seed of hope is almost spent. God's promise of deliverance and redemption, his promise to save mankind and renew all of creation back to what it looked like in the garden looks like it's about to fail. His single flame of hope and the line of Seth is about to flicker out. They're worshiping the moon. Listen. The one, this, we've already talked about uh, Babel, right? Everybody's already been dispersed off the earth. One family. The one family. The one family who was supposed to know God and tell the world about him has left him for false gods. They're worshiping the moon. The one family where all hope le- lies in, in the whole earth is in a godless city Worshiping the moon. See, the line of Seth, it traveled, well, it traveled from Seth, the line of faith really traveled from Seth to Noah and now to Abram. But this man named Abram is living in a dark city with a demon worshiping father, a barren wife, and he's worshiping other gods himself. Joshua 24, verse 2 tells us that Abram is worshiping other gods himself. Tell me, tell me, if you're picking teams right here, are you going to choose this person to start a movement with? Right? Is this your first round draft pick right here? Uh, I'll take the demon worshiper with the jacked up family and the barren wife. First one on my team. Listen, all God is meant, God is trying to show us all hope is lost. Seth's line has failed. Mankind cannot obey God. Mankind is awful. God is meaning to show us this. He's laying it on extra thick. I hope we pick it up this morning. Now listen. This is an important point to make here and one that I don't really enjoy. Last week, I spent a lot of time talking about our legacy and, and what it means to, to pass on our faith to our covenant children, teaching our kids about God and how to walk in his ways, and really to catechize our children is a command to us, but it's not an absolute guarantee for their salvation. They must respond to God on their own. See, this text shows us that our family can't save us. Abram was a part of the best family on earth, and that didn't save him. 
Abraham was in the covenant line of Seth, but he was still a pagan and he needed to be called by God and he needed to respond to that calling. It does not matter whether or not you were raised in church. God must call you and you must respond to that call. The majority of the people in our culture have no idea as to what it means to be called by God and therefore they don't understand what it means to respond to that call either. If I were to ask you this morning, has God called you? What would you say? I think you would probably think I was talking about the call to ministry or to a ministerial profession. And therefore, you would probably distance yourself from this sermon. Oh, I'm not, I'm not called. I'm, no, that's for professionals or something. Seminary. No, not me. I'm just a middle manager. I'm just a salesman. I'm just a sales rep. I, I'm just a student. I haven't been called by God. But listen, that is not the way Scripture, the Bible, speaks about being called by God. In the New Testament, the Greek word for church is ecclesia. Ecclesia means the called out ones. I'm I'm just going to tell you, you misspeak when you say, let's go to church. You misspeak. You've been trained that way. We train our kids that way. And they see this building as the church. You misspeak when you say, let's go to church. It's like saying, hey, let's go to family. Let's go to family? The church means called out ones. Let's gather with the church. We don't go to people. We are the church. The church is the gathered, the called out ones. That's what we are. We tr- I mean, it, we fail because I was raised that way. We fail every day. But I love it when I hear my son go, are we going to gather with our church family today? Yes, son, we are. We gather with our missional community family today? Yes, son, we are. That's what it means. Part of what it means to be the church. To be Christians means to be called out by God. And as you'll see here shortly, it means to be called out and sent on a mission. Now, it's been my observation and my personal experience that in the religious world today, the call to Christ has been abandoned for the call to an altar. Come down to the front of the church and give your life to Christ and say your prayer and give your heart to Jesus. Just walk down right now, band, play that song one more time. The call to Christ has been abandoned for the call to an altar. Now, I am not saying that many people who have that many people haven't been genuinely converted in such a setting under the preaching of the word and the conviction of the Holy Spirit. But what I am saying is this has radically shaped the altar call, the calling and come down and let's deal with it right here once and for all has radically shaped, misshapen Christianity. I would love to give you the history of those, but I can't do it right now. Saying a prayer for salvation has replaced following Jesus. Therefore, Listen, because a prayer has replaced following Jesus, the Christian life has been completely 
gutted of its present meaning and the real life significance and instead only offers us a positive alternative to hell in the afterlife. We're going to see three really powerful things today in Genesis 12 and from the life of Abram. We're going to see how the the call of God is gracious, how it's radical, and how it's missional. Gracious, radical, and missional. Let me show you how the call of God is gracious. All right, back to our text. Here we go. Uh, 12, well... Well, let, we already we already been through it. Let's, let, me, let me just let me just go through it. Abraham or Abram is in Ur, right? He's worshiping other gods, and then the God, the only real wise God, speaks to him. Oh my goodness! What is God going to do when men refuse to obey him? What is God going to do when the line of men fail? What is God going to do when the lights go out? On the generations of men. What's he going to do when the light of hope goes out? God's going to light a match. God's call to Abram is a light in a dark place. His call brings hope into a desperate situation. How many of us have heard God's call to us when we were in a dark place? His effectual call brings to us light in our darkness. Whether that darkness was caused by a life lived on the edges in drunkenness and commandment breaking, or whether that life was lived in darkness through our own effort to keep all the rules and be good little boys and girls. Both attempts at life our attempts to make our own way and be our own gods. But in those dark places, God loves to speak his clear and powerful voice. Like Genesis 1, when God speaks light into existence and light bursts forth, anytime he speaks, light shows up in dark places. John 1 tells us that Jesus is the light and that light will never be overcome by darkness, that the light of his word brings, that his word brings light in dark places and the darkness cannot overcome it. Now listen, this shows us something. God's call is a word that doesn't get used very often, but I'm going to use it today. God's call is effectual. It always produces his expected and intended result. Can I ask you, what hope would God have in Abram responding positively? Why would a moon worshiper, why would a moon worshiper obey? What hope is there in that? Can you imagine God in heaven? So many churches today that that God is not sovereign and God is not in control and man, somehow, you know, everything rests on us and if you don't do your part and... Can you imagine God in heaven right now twiddling his fingers? My plan. I was going to bless the whole... This Jesus, I'm sorry. You know, he's looking back at the Trinity. He's like, I'm sorry. We were going to send you in a couple thousand years, but 
Abram, he's a moon worshiper. (sighs) This is how we live. We live like God. Oh, like we can frustrate the plans of God. Like somehow we are sovereign and God's up there going, Oh, Abram, please. Oh, Abram. Abram's worshiping other gods. What hope is there in that? See, now listen. If you understand what, what, what the sovereignty of God means, if you understand the power of God's voice, the power in his effectual call, this gives me incredible hope. See, Abram is surrounded by people who have abandoned God. His father's a moon worshiper who has abandoned God. And when God, but when God speaks to Abram, the light turns on. When God speaks to Abram, he's surrounded by demon worshipers. He's a demon worshiper himself. But when God speaks, the light turns on. God doesn't play around. When he speaks, when he calls, his people answer him. Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice. This gives me an unshakable hope because it doesn't matter how dark of a place a person is in. It doesn't matter how absent they are from God. It doesn't matter how rebellious they've been. It doesn't matter if they grew up in the most religious institution on the face of the planet or they've been the most rebellious person on the face of the planet. When God speaks to that person, the light turns on. When God speaks, the light turns on. Gives me hope today because I am where I am today, not because of my talent, not because of my family, not because of, you know, any other, any other thing about myself. I'm here because God the Father called me one day. I'm so thankful that God doesn't look down from heaven and see a sparkly, righteous dude named Abram and say, I want him. He's the most talented, the most popular, the best looking dude on the planet. Let's go with this guy. God looks at Abram. He sees a demon worshiper and he says, I think I'm going to bless that guy and make him the most influential person on the face of the planet ever other than Jesus Christ. The call of God is gracious. He doesn't look at your past. He doesn't look at your present. He doesn't look at your family. He doesn't look at your financial portfolio. He calls. By sheer grace. It doesn't matter where you're at right now. It doesn't matter what you did last night. It doesn't matter who you've become over the course of your life. It doesn't matter what's surrounding you. God's call is gracious. You're here for a purpose. You're under the authority of the preaching of the word for a reason. God is sovereign and got you here today. And he can change everything like this. As fast as you hit a switch and the light comes on, he can do that in your soul. But listen, his call is completely gracious, but it's also radical. 
this is really hard. The word radical, we don't use very often. And for me, like I was going to say totally radical there, but I grew up in the 90s. And I was like, I, I can't say that. I sound like a Ninja Turtle if I say that. <clears throat> Listen, nobody wants to be labeled a radical. But if you want to follow Jesus, unfortunately, you don't really have a choice. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Verse, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, this is, that is so gracious. God speaks light into a dark place. The Lord said to Abram, go from your country. Say my country. Go from your kindred. Say my kindred. And go from your father's house. Say my father's house. To the land that I will show you. You don't have to say that. Do you see how God is getting increasingly personal with each command here? He calls Abraham to go, to leave his family. Well, first off, to leave his country, to leave his people, and then to leave his family. I want you to go. This is the mission of God. Abram is called and sent on a mission. There is no second option. Now listen, can I just get the eternal security, please? I'm not interested in leaving my country or leaving my people or especially leaving my family. Can I just get the like, I want to go to heaven because the hell thing sounds like a terrible turnoff. So I don't want this, okay, called to send, this I'm called but I need to go. I don't want that. I want to just be called so I can feel really good about myself in the moment. And I can do life however I want to do life. I am shocked. Now, preachers need to hear this because I am shocked at how up, up front God is. In the deal. See, he's not like, no, nah, I'm sorry for any salesman in the place. But the salesman, they tell you all the deals. They tell you all, oh, all the good stuff. And then at the very end, right? Oh, yeah, well, you know, there's 27% interest. on the. I've been here for an hour. You didn't tell me that? Why? All the good stuff gets put up front and then the consequences at the back end, right? That's how you, you get somebody to commit and then you tell them the fine print. That's not what God does here. God is very upfront with, which, with what this is going to cost Abram. He doesn't play around like, like most preachers do today. He front loads the deal with the radical consequences of answering the call of God. See, faith demands ruthless abandonment of the past. Faith demands a ruthless abandonment of the past. You are no longer Abram. You are no longer a Babylonian. You will be called my people. You are no longer a moon worshiper. You'll worship me only. You are no longer going to follow in your father's footsteps, Abram. I will be your father. Radical. Isn't this radical? And look how God finishes it. I love how God finishes it. I want you to leave everything for... Wait for it. Wait for it. Where we, I can imagine Abram. All right, where? Call me. I'm going to leave my nation. My American identity does not define me. I'm going to leave my people. 
That's your socioeconomic background, your neighborhood, your affluency, your education. I'm going to leave that. I'm going to leave my family. This deal's not sounding so great, God. Where are you going to lead me? Where are we headed? God, I need to know where this mission is going to end up. Is there a beach involved? What are the retirement benefits here? Right? What does God say? I want you to go to a place that I will show you. Oh, that's comforting. Okay, cool. Leave everything behind and I don't even know where this is going to end up. God refuses to give in to our demands or Abram's demands. Tim Keller says that God pretty much says here, you want to know where we're going? Trust me, I'll show you. Trust me, I'll show you. Listen, the call to follow Jesus Christ is the call to take your hands off your life. This might be the most radical thing I say all day. The call to follow Christ is the call to come and die. You no longer have a say over your life. We listen to God and we do what he says. That's it. Now, the good news to that statement is that God takes our dead life and he does something beautiful with it. It is something of eternal significance with it. This is just radical though, isn't it? Let's be honest. Isn't this radical? That I come to Christ and I say, where am I going? Who will be my people? What will be my country? Who will be my family? I don't make those decisions, Father. You do. See, one of the first things that people ask when you start sharing your faith with them and, and talking to them about embracing Jesus, one of the first things people in our culture say and it's, is this, what's it going to cost me? What's it going to cost me to become a Christian? Will I have to give up sleeping with my girlfriend? Will I have to break up with my boyfriend? How much is it going to cost me? I got goals and dreams. and I got a financial portfolio that I'm working on. It's going to cost me my money. Will it cost me my fill in the blank? And preachers today, we put that on the back end. Just come, accept Christ, believe and say a prayer and then go out. And we hope that it takes and then God will give them the real deal later. <laughs> oh yeah, by the way, that say a prayer thing, it's kind of not the end of the deal. There's a cross involved somewhere. It's not what God does with Abraham. He really shows him the cross right away. This is going to cost everything you've got. But it'll be worth, it'll be far. There is a blessing coming. I mean, I get it. I understand how difficult those questions look to you right now. Can I keep this and still serve Jesus? Can I hold on to this? Is he going to make me give up? 
following God is receiving a whole new life. It's not an addition to your old life. You can't compartmentalize your faith. It doesn't work that way. The call to follow God is the call, isn't, isn't the call to a better life. It's a call to follow the God who is in himself better than all life. The call isn't to get a better life. The call is to get in him who he is better than life itself. Oh, what a thrill. So we have here the God of the universe drafting a demon-worshipping dude into his eternal mission to renew all creation for his own glory. Wow. That pumps me up, man. That just motivates me. Anytime I start thinking about how underqualified I am to be leading this this church, Abram gives me some comfort. And that should comfort us. If you're in a missional community, if you're leading a missional community, if you're in a fight club, and I don't know how to disciple this person, I don't know how, this should give you a lot of comfort. Our education doesn't qualify us. God's call qualifies us. And then our response to that call shows that we have answered his call. It's a radical call. It's a radical call. And this is what God promises to do. 12.2. So he, God calls, he sends, and he, this is the end result. This is what's going to happen, right? Abraham, you obey. You, my effectual call is going to produce this in you. This is what's going to happen. Verse 2. And I will make you a great nation drafts a demon-worshipping dude to build a nation. And that's going to be the nation of Israel. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless you so that you will be a blessing. Now listen, God has blessed people five times so far in the first 11 books of Genesis. Five times. And now in the first three verses of chapter 12, he blesses Abram five times. God graciously chooses Abram to be his man. He graciously blesses him over and over. But do you see here? Do you see the duality of his calling? Do you see the dual nature that this is a calling, but it's simultaneously ascending? calling out from the nations of uh, the Ur of the Chaldeans, calling out from demon worship, calling out from other gods, calling out from a life bent in on himself, living for his own desires and his own needs, calling out from a life of barrenness, but it's a calling that's meant to be ascending at the same time. I will bless you if you leave. I will bless you to be a blessing. There is ascending inside the calling. Abram is called to go. Now, these verses, if you, I'm just going to give you this real quick. These verses shape the thrust of the rest of the Bible. All of the Bible. These verses shape the thrust. It's the story of God bringing salvation to all tribes and nations through Abram's seed. That's the story of the rest of Scripture. That's the story we live in right now. 
You will, you will witness as you read the, the Bible that this promise right here that starts with the personal promise to Abraham will extend to a national promise to Israel and then it will multiply into a promise for all the nations of the earth. One could argue that the, the promise to be for all whole earth is right here. Blessed to be a blessing to all nations. Now listen. Do you remember what Jesus Son of God. Do you remember what Jesus said when he called his disciples? Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Come, follow, fish. Inside the calling to Christ, inside it is the sending. The calling is laced with ascending. So what does this mean? That's a lot of theology, Justin. That's deep. I don't know. What does that mean for us practically? It means that when God calls us, we take our hands off our life and we no longer make our decisions through our own comfort. That thing about that one statement going to be the most controversial. This one might be right here. God's call and God's mission determine our decisions. God's call and God's mission determine our decisions. That just sounds so radical when I say it. It just rubs us Americans in places that we do not like to be rubbed. Where will I, what do you mean determines our decisions? Where will I live? What city, what country, what neighborhood, what house? Is your comfort leading that decision? Or is it God's calling to you as a missionary? We feel called by God to choose this neighborhood that we're going to live here as missionaries to be a blessing to this, these people. Or do we say, you know what? No, I got a raise and I'm just going to, you know, move out of this neighborhood into a nicer neighborhood. It's got better schools and it's got more comfort. And it's got more amenities and it's closer to the places we like to shop and it's closer to the church. It's closer to... Does your comfort drive your decision or does the mission of God drive your decision? How would you spend your resources? If you get a raise this year, maybe that raise is meant as a blessing by God to increase your standard of giving and not your standard of living. If you're thinking missionally, if you're thinking that I'm sent, I've been called and now I've been sent, so every dime the Father gives me is on loan from Him to be used for His mission. I, this is who we are as the people of God. We've been called and sent. There is no call and just be a happy Christian. If Father, if he, if Father Abraham is your father, you've been drafted into his army. You've been drafted into the mission of God. This is your calling. This is the dual nature. Jesus made that clear when he gave us the great commission. Go make disciples of all the nations, teaching them to obey all that I've given you. 
who will be your people. If God has called you, you can't stay in Ur. You can't be surrounded and dwelling in your past. Who will be your people? You can't stay where you feel comfortable. You've got to trust God to go where he will show you. That's tough. That's tough to feel for the hand of God in the dark when you don't know what to do. And just, I'm I'm trusting you that you're going to lead me. That's tough. But that's blessing. Go and I will bless you in that place when you have nothing to lean on but my hand. I will bless you to be a blessing. I want to show the world what life looks like in relationship with the real God. Not this American version of Christianity that you come in and it's like a... It's like some kind of telethon, man. You, you walk in and, and I just order up whatever I want for my life. It's all about me and my comfort and making an easy life for myself. And the Bible is so opposed to that. It's the mission of God and we've been drafted inside it. Listen, when God calls us, he sends us. Nobody's on the bench. Do you hear that? God doesn't call like a lot of people and then he's got reserves. He's like, are you just sit on the bench and then if the A team starts sucking it up, then I'm gonna put you in there. If you've been called by God, you've been sent. You are a missionary by identity. You've been called by God. You've been drafted into the mission of God and your life is no longer your own. This is one of those sermons that really frees up seats usually. So is this, now I'm going to ask you, is this how you're living? Are you living like a called and sent missionary? Or are you living some watered-down, inoculated version of the Christian life? If your kids say Christianity is boring, then the answer to that question is yes. And you are offering them up an inoculated version of Christianity. Our life is not meant to be boring. That's why we live in community and on mission and nothing about that is boring to us if you're in a missional community because people's drama's in your face every day. You get to see how the gospel applies to it. You're living on mission with people. So for us, we've adopted a Nepali family and we get to see what, how do we share our faith with somebody who can't even speak our language? What does it mean just to help them get shoes and help them go to the doctor? And we're in it, man. We get to see how the mission of God is moving forward and we believe that the sovereignty of God called the family from Nepal, put them in the Quad City so that we could pour our life into them so that he could reveal himself to them. That's exciting. My kids get to play with those those people. He can't even speak English, but they speak play. 
My son, my, some pictures were scrolling on our, our TV today. My son goes, or it was last night, my son goes, who's that? I said, oh, that's your African brother. I have an African brother? You've got, yeah, and you've got two African sisters too because we've adopted these children. We sponsor these children. I've been over to Africa. We've built churches and we've dug wells and we, we pay for it. We support them every month. That's my kids' brothers and sisters in Christ. He said, I have a brother. And I said, yeah, and I didn't even have to make him. It was great. <laughs> or pay for him, really, honestly. Pay for his college, right? Listen, the Christian life is meant to be an adventure. It's meant to be exciting. But the inoculated version we're sold in America is not because it's not the real thing. Listen, now if I finished the sermon right there, you'd be left with a good guilty feeling in the pit of your stomach and a little bit of motivation to try harder at mission. But God doesn't stop there. He doesn't just demand that we blindly obey him as he watches from above. Go where I show you. And we just feel our way forward. God does the unthinkable. Nobody's ever thought this up. No man has created something so spectacular. Only in the mind of God. God fulfills what he requires of us. God doesn't just command us to be missionaries. He's a missionary God. See, God's perfect son heard and accepted the call of God. And that son gave up his heavenly homeland and his father's house. And he came where God told him to go. He came to this earth. He's not a mean God that demands serve me and be mission. He's a God that lovingly became a missionary on our behalf. And Jesus shows us exactly what God requires in that he goes the distance. Jesus was the true and better Abram. See, Jesus was hated by his country. He was betrayed by his people. And the call of God cost him everything. The missionary Jesus doesn't just give up his country and his people. He gives up himself. On the cross, Jesus gave up his life so that we could be called and so that we could respond to that call. Jesus, the Father, turned his back on Jesus so that we could be called. Jesus was sent away so that we could be brought in. And then Jesus, when he was raised from the dead, he was lifted up and went back up into heaven so that, he said, so that he could send us 
the Holy Spirit, the third member of the Trinity, to empower us to obey and live the lives of missionaries for the glory of God. Now listen, I want you to hear this. This is my interpretation, but I just want you to hear this. The cross calls us in and the empty tomb sends us out. You're going to find this everywhere in Scripture. What God demands, he, He supplies When God calls, he sends. The cross calls us in into a family and the empty tomb sends us out as missionaries into the world. Where are you at in that? There is no, I'll take the call. Where are you at? And only Jesus can empower us to live the life of missionaries and then forgive us when we fail to. Only Jesus was the perfect missionary. We fail on a daily basis. We fail on a weekly basis. See, if you struggle with public repentance, you've probably lowered your standard. Pharisees with low standards get on my nerves. God calls us to live the life of a missionary. Everywhere we go, he's sending us. And if you've been around Sacred City long enough, you know I'm not meaning called into the ministry, big M word, leave your job, your real job, and come be a pastor. That's not what I'm calling. You are a missionary at AT AT&T, at the law firm, in the doctor's office, teaching in the school. Wherever you are, God has sent you as a missionary. That's why you're there. The cross calls us in, and the empty tomb sends us out. Father, I pray, as your word says, that your people would hear your call today. Those who are, who are like Abram and they're sitting in a dark place, surrounded by dark people, filled with dark thoughts, I pray that your light, that your very word would speak light and darkness and that you would call them out of Ur. You would call them out of that darkness. And Father, those of us who've accepted that call, but somewhere we've lost the mission of God, somewhere we've forgotten or did not know that we've been called to be sent, I pray that you would light the flame of mission in their heart, that you would light the flame for the glory of God and all the nations and all the world in their heart, that people from this congregation would be sent to Africa and to Asia and to Iraq and all the nations of the world, that we would be sent out as a blessing, Father God, that people from this congregation would live as missionaries in the Quad Cities, that our life would not be our own. We'd take our hands off of it. And Father, you would bless us to be a blessing. Pray that we would gladly accept and embrace the spirit-empowered life on mission for you. I thank you that you haven't left us, but you empower us for mission. Even in the, the communion, the Lord's Supper that we're about to partake, that Father, Christ 
is really present in some way in this body and in this cup. And I ask that you would um, communicate your presence in a meaningful way to us today. As we take in by sheer grace the broken body of Christ and the blood of Christ as we receive it from your hands today. Father, I ask that you would communicate your nearness, that you would empower us to live for your glory as missionaries in our world and in our city. In Jesus' name, amen.